Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have a Bible this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, then we're going to flick to Genesis chapter 6. One of my old pastors uh, used to stand on a particular statement. He said, without a revelation of how lost you are, you don't really know how to get saved and how much you need Jesus. And I used to think about that. You need to know that you're lost first before you can really be saved. And it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's His love. It's His grace. There's a revelation that comes. But over the years, there's been some famous sermons that have been preached. And when the word repentance is used, or even the word conviction, some people get a little bit, you know, I'm not so sure if I'm comfortable with that. And I'm not so, well, conviction isn't very comfortable. And in fact, it makes you feel uncomfortable that's what conviction is you feel convicted about doing something wrong and um, one of the great and famous sermons that was preached all the way back on July the 8th 1741 focused on a particular aspect of scripture it was a sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards it's one of the most famous sermons in Christian modern history. His text was Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Now, the title of the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. By the grace of God, and I emphasize that, and because of the love of God, this man preached a sermon, and 500 people got saved that day. The sermon has been credited as the igniter of the Great Awakening. You can look that up, do an internet, internet search on that, the Great Awakening, and it was an evangelical revival in America in the 1740s. The fact is, the sermon was used as a firm warning to mankind that Almighty God has in times past brought judgment and will in times future will bring judgment upon the unrepentant. Reverend Stephen Williams was in attendance at the sermon and he wrote in his diary the, the following account uh, 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 detailing the congregation's reactions. Before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying out through the whole house. People were saying, what shall I do to be saved? Others said, I am going to hell. Oh, what shall I do for Christ was another. The sermon was delivered by a man who just basically read his notes without even looking at the congregation. Such was the power of the Holy Spirit in conviction that day. People came to repentance. Shrieks and cries are piercing and, uh, 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 right across the congregation and were amazing. After some time of waiting, the congregation was still after prayer. And God was moving amongst the people. 
They sang a hymn, prayed a prayer of dismissal and dispersed the assembly. That day, Jonathan Edwards wasn't even scheduled to preach. Someone got sick and so he had to fill in on the preaching roster. By faith, he entered the pulpit. By faith, he preached the gospel. And by the grace of God, people were converted and conviction was present. See, that's the balance. We can talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, and I'm all for it. But the conviction of God was there. The warning was clear. God wants people to repent and come to salvation. Judgment is coming on the face of the earth. Some weeks ago, I was reading in my daily reading, and I came across that story once again, and I thought about the faith in the house that day, faith in that church that day, to receive the Word of God that's preached. Faith isn't just for healing. Faith isn't just so that you can uh, see God do miraculous things in your life. Sometimes the faith that is needed in your heart is just simply to receive the Word of God. And there was a receptiveness to the Word of God. I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11 just three or four weeks ago, and I came across this verse of Scripture, and I want to preach to you a sermon this morning, Faith in Motion. Because it speaks about Noah's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 through to 8, the account of Noah is again is recorded for us, and it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and beast and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. Listen to this, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to preach a simple sermon this morning. Faith in motion. I pray that you will hang in there with me. There is some encouragement. And everybody said hallelujah. Please find some encouragement. Hallelujah. Firstly, faith hears the divine warning. For 6,000 years of human history, the Word of God, the spoken Word of God, has guided, encouraged, comforted, inspired, and convicted us in every generation. The balance of God's truth is grace, mercy, faith, but it's also conviction, repentance, and warning to mankind. The truth is, the Word of God speaks to us about God's nature and man's nature. And Moses brought the word of the Lord in written form, wrote it down for us, but it had previously been spoken as a warning to mankind at times. Moses lived about 1570 BC, wrote the first five books of the Bible. Later in 1455 AD, that's Anno Domini, not 
common error. If you read the internet, it says common error. And BCE now. You know what BCE is? Before the common era. So it used to be BC and AD. Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, meaning from Christ's time on, BC before Christ. Now it's BCE, before common era, and CE, which is common era. They're trying to change things. But the truth of God's word remains. Can you say amen? Glad to hear you're all with me. Praise God. It's easy for modern men, however, to take for granted that the written word was first spoken. We have it in written form. So therefore, we take for granted the testimony of people like Noah, who was found righteous in the eyes of God. And in our portion of Scripture in Hebrews, it tells us that he was a man of faith. To me, it's a powerful thought that the entire these people who had the spoken word of God before they had the written word, before they had context, before they had biblical history, they put their trust in an, uh, in an almighty God. There was no internet. There was no books. There was no context except for the written, uh, for the spoken word of God. God's people chose to believe or disbelieve the prophets of God. I think it's easy for us to take for granted the validity of the Old Testament Scriptures. At times, there are many of us that are biblically illiterate when it comes down to the Old Testament. We don't understand how it fits into God's plan. Some would say, well, I don't relate to it. So how does it work for today? I disagree that we can't relate to it. I believe it puts the New Testament in, tech, in context. Gives us understanding of the workings of men and the fallenness of humanity. The fact is, reading the entire Word of God helps us to understand a complete truth in the whole plan. Let me say this. Noah lived in the midst of an ungodly people who had lost all understanding of God and godliness. Is that contemporary or not today? How many, of, how many people work in Christian environments today? Not many of us. How many work in an ungodly environment at times by the way they speak, the way their ethics work? There's all sorts of things that are going down in, in society and we live today in the midst of people who have lost understanding of who God is and how God operates. We live in a time that people are calling post-Christian. Post-Christian society. That's because we went secular some years ago. Now there is such confusion over what's Christian and what's not Christian. And people don't have context because they don't understand the Word of God. It's not being taught. People may come to church, but even church attendance is on the wane in Australia. Noah lived in the midst of an ungodly nation. Noah hears the divine warning about events that had never been seen before on the face of the earth. Rain had never been seen before. In the New Living Translation, it says, He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. One writer said, 
humanity had never seen rain before. God said that he was going to cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Noah tried to warn the people of the impending flood that was coming, uh, going to come and they mocked him. Can I ask you today, if you were to stand in any workplace on the street corner or even in a shopping mall and began to read out of the book of Revelation, how many people would say, I've never heard it before, tell me more. If you started to read out of some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 24 and 25, how many people would say, keep talking, preacher, keep talking? I don't think so outside these walls. People have lost their moorings in our nation because they don't know the Word of God. It's not being taught. People aren't standing up for it. A casual reading of the book of Revelation and have a casual reading of the book of Revelation, tells us that the events on the earth have never been seen before are going to come to pass in the end times. Bunny's looking after me because he heard me cough. What a servant of God. Give the man a hand. <laughs> Too bad he goes for the wrong football team. Hallelujah. like me hey Dave yeah thank you amen unbelievers will focus on Armageddon and talk about it in the media but that's one small part of the book of Revelation it's a major part but it's a small part in the sense of the overall uh, judgments that are going to come to pass listen to Revelations chapter 8 and verse 7 the first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned. And all the green grass was burned. Revelations 8, 8. Then the second angel blew his trumpet. And a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. I start reading that stuff. And I start thinking, what, how, how is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? To the unbeliever and the biblically unschooled, these, uh, uh, these statements seem like sci-fi movies. It seems, it seems so far unbelievable. And I want you to, uh, in context, I want you to put yourself in Noah's position. Noah's telling them the same sort of warning, and they're looking at him in the same way as people that today would look at us when we read to them or tell them about the book of Revelation. It says that Noah moved by faith because of the divine warning. Let me tell you, faith hears the divine warning. Life is not going to stay as it is today for the rest of time. It is going to get increasingly worse and things are going to transpire and God's going to say enough's enough one day. Noah believed the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Noah declared the coming judgment as something that they had never seen before. And I'm saying to you that there is a, a divine warning that we need to embrace today. And that is, time is changing. We need to be a people of faith. 
I think mankind struggles at times with the fact that the Word of God is full of warnings. Deuteronomy 11.16 says, But be careful, do not let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. I think that's a contemporary word for today. How easy is it for us to be distracted from the things of God? Try reading your Bible at around about 8 or 9 o'clock at night. See, how you go. I don't know about you, but I start, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm starting to nod off after about a couple of minutes. And I have to stand up, walk around, shake myself. Because you want, the things of God are harder at times when we aren't focused in faith on, on God and we are distracted by the things of this world. The Bible's full of warnings like beware, take heed and be careful. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 17 says, You therefore, beloved since you know that this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit and according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. I was shocked this week to hear the testimony of a Bible college student who had submitted a, uh, uh, an assignment, but uh, when receiving his assignment back, uh, he uh, lost 15 points off his total because he quoted F.B. Meyer. Now, F.B. Meyer, for those people who don't understand, was a great uh, minister of the gospel and friend of D.L. Moody, and his books are spot-on doctrinally, and the reason this young, this young man lost 15 points is because he quoted a book that was older than 10 years. The Bible college that he is attending is saying to him that only books that have been written in the last 10, 10 years can you quote or reference. Throw this out. <laughs> 4,000 years ago, mate, this was written. Now we're going to throw it out because it's older than 10 years, by golly. I was shocked when I heard that. And the statement was made by friends of mine when we were talking about it. They're going for philosophy. What has the Bible said? Be careful, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. I want to uplift to you again and again and again. You'll hear me harp on it. You may get sick of me. Pastor Josh may stop me preaching sometimes because I harp on this. You must be a student of the Word of God. You must put your trust in the Word of God. Don't worry about what the world says. Don't worry even if it's coming through a Christian organization. You must depend on the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Be warned. Paul said in the last days, there's going to be people that come that are just going to tickle your ears. Make it softer on you. Easier to listen to. So Noah, by faith, embraces the future as prophesied by the Lord to him. And he moves towards it by trusting God. That's what I encourage you to do. Move towards the future, trusting God. Secondly, I want to talk to you about how faith was, moves with godly fear. I'm not promoting fear. 
I'm promoting godly fear. Big difference. Fear, one person said, is designed by God and has a wonderful protective benefit. Anytime I see a snake, that's that protective fear kicks in. I want to run. Hallelujah. Fear is designed by God and has a wonderful protective benefit when it, is, when it functions as God designed it. Instinctual fears are tremendous mercies protecting us from danger before we even have time to think. But Holman's Bible Dictionary gives us an understanding of godly fear, a broad range of emotions that embrace both the secular and religious worlds. Um, secular fear is, is the natural feeling of alarm caused by the expectation of imminent danger and pain and disaster. Religious or godly fear appears as the result of an awe and reverence towards God and His supreme power. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, whoever, uh, wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptable, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now those two words, reverence and godly fear, are two different Hebrew words, uh, sorry, Greek words. Reverence means awe or bowing ahead. Godly fear is the Greek word which means dread. It's a stronger form. Now, to understand this, I want you to put yourselves in Noah's position. God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to wipe out humanity. How would you feel? Whoa. Serious? Yeah, they've been, this, is, this is a wicked and perverse generation, God says to Noah. I'm going to wipe them out. I would have a very sense of dread at that particular time. I'd be, I'd be concerned. In fact, when you read uh, uh, the book of Revelations, there's a certain level of dread in that, that I don't want any of my friends or my family to go through that. There's that godly fear of the almighty power of God. Noah had never seen it rain. He'd never experienced a flood, but he put his trust in God regardless, and the shock factor must have still been there. This very thought and revelation that God is almighty and that he is going to destroy the earth would have brought real godly fear at that time, a reverence and awe and a dread, a combination of those two words that I just read to you out of Hebrews. Because almighty God is powerful. We live, as one preacher uh, I was listening to one sermon last week, he says, we live in a cavalier generation. The word cavalier means having an unconcerned and disdainful attitude about important matters, dismissive and disregard towards spiritual matters and especially biblical warnings. I believe we live in a cav cavalier generation. In fact, I think it's crept into the church. Some sectors are even getting worse. I heard another sermon the other, uh, a couple of weeks ago where a, a pastor stood in America and he listed all the uh, main, major businesses that are pro-Christian, Chick-fil-A, um, a couple of the others, I can't remember their names. But then he listed a whole heap of um, uh, big businesses, including Coca-Cola, who are totally anti-Christian and have enforced... A, a, man, a mantra amongst their uh, CEO, uh, amongst their management 
are being about anti-Christian. Never say anything positive about a Christian. I was starting to think about that, and I was starting to think we live in a, de- in a generation that's cavalier, but also a generation where there is a God-hating ethos creeping in. I love the fact that the Word of God warns us, and ex- but ex- also exalts us, that God is almighty. You know what that word almighty means? Impregnable. Genesis 17.1, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. God alone is awesome. I know we use that word quite often, awesome. Oh, that's awesome. God is awesome. The word awesome all comes from the word awe, which means a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. He's not the big fella upstairs. The casual cavalier attitude. Oh, yeah, the big fella upstairs, he's always looking after me. You need to be very careful. You are talking about Almighty God, who spoke and the world came into existence. You want to get down on the Bible because you don't believe it, or you don't want to get down on what God does? I don't like what God does sometimes. You're talking about Almighty God there. The one who gives you your next breath. I'm talking about awe and respect and reverence for the God who saved you, showed mercy on you, loves you, even when you're unlovable. Who, me? Yeah, you. And me. I can be painful at times to some people, especially on the other end of the phone when I'm trying to get a job done. But God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, He's worthy of awe, reverential fear. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was, that was in the camp trembled. The voice of God, the presence of God in that mountain, and the people shuddered with terror. The word trembled means shuddered with terror. Acts 7.32, saying, I am the God, of Abra- uh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, the friend of God, remember, trembled and dare not look at God. The New Testament as well is also has some illustrations of the fear of the Lord or awe and reverence for God. Acts chapter 5. Not everybody likes reading this one. Because Ananias, he decided to rip God off. Showed total disrespect. Acts 5, 5, it says, And Aaron and I, hearing these words, fell down. Now, this is at church, by the way. <laughs> Come to church, light of the Holy Ghost, and they carry you out in a body bag. Hallelujah. <laughs> Acts, Acts 5, 5, And Aaron and I, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. 
And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now that term, great fear, two Greek words. The first one, great, meaning is the word megas, where we get the word mega from, which means a million. Heaps, big mobs. Fear is the word phobos, where we get the word phobia from. Alarm, fright, being afraid or fear. Great alarm was in the church when Ananias dropped because he had dishonoured God so profusely. Acts 5.11, his missus comes in. She thinks everything's cool. Peter's asked her the same question. She drops. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. It's the same Greek words. Great fear, mega, mega phobos. The New Testament saw God demonstrate his power and produce great awe of him. My point is here today is as we read the word of God, including the promises and prophecies of God about the end time, we must hear the divine warning and we must move into the future with godly fear. Do not become complacent with the things of God. His wonderful love and grace has brought revelation into your heart. His mercy is rich, but don't treat the things of God lightly. The days are coming when God will say enough's enough. By faith, Noah obeys God and prepares an ark. And I want to finish and close. I've got six minutes. See if I can do it. Hallelujah. Let's finish with faith moves into, uh, moves into inheritance. So Noah hears the warning. Noah moves with godly fear and builds an ark. Despite every opposition, every opposition to him. Why are you building a boat, mate, in the middle of nowhere? What's going on? He'd tell them there's going to be a flood. God's going to destroy the earth. They're not listening. But he continues regardless. I want to encourage you to be one of those Christians. <laughs> Hallelujah. By faith, moving into your inheritance into the future. Our inheritance is in Christ. Our inheritance is a heavenly home. Our inheritance is Christ coming back and a kingdom being received unto him. And I want to tell you, we need to move with godly fear, believing the promises of God, and we can move into our inheritance. Noah's faith in Almighty God impacted his children. I see an overemphasis on children sometimes. We can't come to church because Johnny had pooey nappy this morning. We can't go to this, we can't do that. We can't do this because of little Johnny who's two and a half and cracking a barney every time he gets told what to do. Well, guess what? You either need to serve God or serve your kids. Because Noah made a decision, and that was to believe God, and part of that became inheritance. Their inheritance was getting in the boat. 
<laughs> they got a free ride. Hallelujah. For, while, the, while the water was all over the face of the earth, they came in on the coattails of their father's faith. What people need to understand very clearly is that you need to seek God first. Put God first in your family and you'll come up with the best inheritance ever for your kids. I haven't got too much money to leave behind if I passed away today for my kids. But what I hope that they will have as an inheritance is spiritual understanding of the things of God. By faith, they followed Noah and they helped him build the boat. Noah believed the word of God and so did his family and eight people were saved and humanity was restarted. Genesis 7 verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen you are righteous before me in this generation. I want to leave this world one day with a testimony that I live for God and I invested it in my children and that my faith in God was influential on their lives. Secondly, I want to point out that through Noah's faith, it moved him into a place of enduring testimony because we're talking about him today. We're talking about Noah and what his faith was. I want to tell you, daily lifestyle uh, of living for God carries weight with other people. People are watching you. 2 Peter 2.5 says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bring the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah's lifestyle itself was an affront to those people because he believed God. Can I tell you, you may not be the most favorite person in your workplace, on your neighborhood, or even uh, at, at school functions or whatever, but you will be a testimony for God when you live by faith. Faith moves you into an inheritance. That inheritance is not necessarily now. It's eternal. There are some things you'll reap from now, but it's an internal inheritance, which is the greatest thing. One commentator said, he showed the guilt and folly of, the li- of their lives by the contrast between his conduct and theirs. The wickedness of the sinner is condemned not only by preaching, but by the conduct of every good person. The language of such a life is a plain rebuke to all that choose sin. Noah's testimony stood out in his generation, but also in ours. And what did Jesus say? As in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. That's what's going to happen. We need to be lights in in a dark world, standing as an enduring testimony, and we will see God's inheritance come to pass. Thirdly and finally, it says, um, Genesis 15, 6, uh, talking about Abraham, it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. When we live a life of believing God, it's accounted unto us as righteousness. Noah believed the warning. Noah moved by faith to build the ark. Noah moved with godly fear. Noah is a testimony to you and I today, a testimony of inheritance 
listen to the two great scriptures that I found to close us off. Maybe we could have the musicians come right now. Psalm 128, verse 3 and 4, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. The Lord's, this is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. The inheritance that comes is upon you and your family, both here and eternally. Acts 9.37, speaking on a different scale, this is about the church. It says, The church then had peace throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. There's blessing. Blessing of inheritance. It says that Noah inherited the righteousness that comes by faith. Just trust in God. Put your faith in the word of the Lord and the God who wrote it. And let him speak to you about how you need to live in these last days. How long have we got? i got no idea. <laughs> how long can it be? It can be short, maybe a little while, I don't know. But heed the warnings. Stay faithful to God. Stay true to the Word of God. Obey Him. Love Him. Love your family. Believe in His mercy and His grace. And stand up for what's right. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads about, eyes are closed just for a moment. We're going to close in a word of prayer. But I want to give a clear, clear call for salvation today. If you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour, you are in serious danger because you're lost. You're lost without Jesus. Unless you come to the place of repentance and accept Him as your saviour, you may spend an eternity without God in a place that you don't really want to go. Jesus warned us about that. But he also showed us the love that he has for us by coming and dying for us on the cross of Calvary. Jesus took your place and mine on the cross of Calvary to save us. I want to ask you today, are you right with God? Is your heart right? Would you like to accept Jesus as your personal saviour and give your life to Christ? Your sin has separated you from a loving God, but your loving God is calling you back and He wants to show you grace and mercy, but He wants to bring you to that place of repentance and accepting Him as Saviour. If there's anybody here who needs to do that today, maybe you once walked with the Lord, but now you're not walking with Him. Maybe you have never done it and you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart, why don't you lift your hand so I can see it? Lift it. Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. As a sign, yes, I need to get my heart right with God. Lift your hand so I can see it. Lift it up right now. The inheritance that God has for you is eternity in heaven. The inheritance He has for you is a, a, a life of peace in the midst of turmoil in this world. 
a life of knowing the love of God. Why don't you give your heart to Jesus today? Is there anybody here across this building, back to front, side to side, nobody looking around? This is between you and God. I want you to lift your hand, and we're going to pray a prayer together in just a minute. That's what I want to do. I want to pray a prayer with you. Why don't you lift your hand? You need a prayer. You need a prayer to invite Christ into your life. Put your hand up so I can see it. Maybe you once walked with the Lord, but you're backslidden. You're away from God. You want to get your heart right. Put your hand up. Amen. Heads about, eyes closed. Father, I pray for any that are, not, that are here and not right with you. I pray that they would repent right now in their heart. Turn to you. They feel the conviction of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, convict. Speak to hearts. Reveal the truth. And then, Lord, bring the grace. Bring the, bring, bring the love of God into their heart. Bring the peace of God into their heart. As heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I want you to spend just a minute or two in prayer right now. Maybe you need to make a declaration before the Lord quietly in your seat on how you're going to live for Him as the days get worse, as we draw closer and closer to the return of Christ and end time events. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you. Maybe you haven't been showing Him the godly fear or the awe or the respect that he is due. You just need to pray right now and ask God to help you and let the peace of God come into your heart because what happens is you get peace after you repent and get it right. Father, I pray for this congregation, these people right across this congregation. We're thankful for the love of God, the mercy of God. Lord, for your clear warnings in Scripture. Help us to embrace those warnings by faith and live according to your word and do all that you have called us to do, obeying your voice and your spirit's prompting in our hearts that you would bless us and strengthen us. And Lord, give us vision for an eternal inheritance in heaven with you. But give us a vision for our soul, for the souls of friends and family that need to be saved. An inheritance that as we live that life, live a life just as Noah lived in, a, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. So let us live for you in the middle of a wicked and perverse generation as light shining and demonstrating the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Let us never shirk our responsibility and believe your promises. And Father, we believe you today and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.